You are listening to the teaching ministries of Southwest Church, located in the heart of Springboro, Ohio, at 150 Remick Boulevard, beside the Kaufman Family YMCA. Please visit our website at www.southwestchurch.org. Thank you for joining us for this week's message from Senior Minister Roger Hendricks. For the rest of us, we're going to continue a series of messages that we've kicked off a couple weeks ago uh, on victory. But before we get into that, let's just bow and ask God to bless our time together uh, as we open up the Bible and read from it and apply it to our lives. So if you would, just pray with me. Dear God, thank you for the time of worship we've had this morning and just uh, what a meaningful time that was, just to be reminded of of what our, who our faith is rooted in, Father, you and your Son, Jesus Christ, your Spirit. And, and, and Father, we're, we're grateful that we've been able to worship you today. And we pray, Father, that your Spirit will be at work now and guide me and be at work in the reading of these Scriptures. And as we seek to apply these, this wonderful story from your Word to our lives, help us not just view this, Father, as a a story in the past, but help us look for ways that we can live it out in our present and into the future. And so we just pray for your, uh, your blessing on everything that takes place in this room and throughout this building and even at the YMCA today as your word is taught. We love you, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as we continue this series on victory... We're learning from an inspiring biblical character named Joshua, and we're reading from his book that's named after him in the Bible, Joshua. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to Joshua chapter 3. If you didn't bring a Bible, you can follow along either on a Bible app or we've got the message insert, scriptures on the screen. We're trying to get the word out there every way we can. Uh, But we want to learn not only from this victorious character, Joshua, during this series, But we want to learn how we can live that victorious life in the present. In the past two weeks, we've been introduced to Joshua and the role that faith plays in living a victorious Christian life. This week, we're going to examine a very pivotal time in Israel's history that was not only a great moment of victory for the people of Israel, but it was also a moment that really established Joshua's leadership within Israel. Now, we've titled this weekend's message, Crossing Jordans. Now, it's important you to know that we didn't name it after a former TV show. Okay, there's an S on the end there. Nor did we want to simply examine the events that occurred when Joshua led the Israelites across the Jordan River into the Promised Land. Although we'll read that biblical account in just a moment, but we want to learn from Joshua's faith and apply it to our lives to acknowledge the Jordans or Jordan rivers in our lives that maybe we need to cross or maybe as a church that we need to cross. As I was preparing for this weekend's message, I, uh, on Friday, I 
if you remember Friday, and it's nice and sunny today and yesterday, but on Friday it was just it came a deluge, downpour of rain. And in fact, uh, we, I thought we were going to have some Jordan Rivers out in our property, okay? Uh, and by the way, I'm not complaining because it's great to see uh, the construction company bringing some, some uh, earth-moving uh, uh, equipment to start landscaping and, and remove some of these mounds of dirt that have been there for a while and get the landscaping all set. So we're excited about that. But I was really beginning to think we were going to have to cross the Jordan River, even get into the building uh, this weekend. But I'm grateful the sun has come out and those rivers have kind of uh, started to evaporate. As somebody said uh, with that river that if it was just a little warmer, we could have a mud a volleyball game out there. And I'm not too sure about that, but, but uh, somebody thought that's what we could do. Well, anyways, typically throughout church history, uh, references have been made to crossing the Jordan River. We see that a lot in Christian hymns. Maybe you grew up singing hymns. Uh, even as I was preparing for this message, uh, I, I found myself listening more, on more than one occasion to an old Johnny Cash song, Far Side Banks of Jordan. And uh, I enjoyed that. In fact, I played it two or three times while I was working on this message. But typically when, when references to the Jordan River are made in songs or even oftentimes in sermons, there's this reference to crossing over from this life to the next and thinking about heaven. And oftentimes that's the reference. And although we want to make sure, as we do often here at Southwest, that that those that attend here on the weekend and everyone that we can influence as a church, that they have confidence of spending eternity with the Lord in heaven. And we talk often about making sure that we want people to have that personal assurance. And if you don't have that, that sense of eternal security, we want you to have it. We want to invite you to to come to one of our discovery classes. We talk about very honestly and very frankly how you can have that confidence. But if, if those classes just don't fit your schedule and you just want to have that assurance, make a note on the communication card and someone will follow up with you uh, even this week of how you can have that confidence of the ultimate victory of heaven. And yet for this series, we're focusing not simply on the victory of heaven, But we want to learn from Joshua how we can claim victory in our personal lives in the here and now. So throughout this weekend's message, I want you to contemplate and personalize this message. And if you're taking blanks, uh, taking blanks. If you're you're taking notes and filling in the blanks, got my phrases crossed up there. But if you're taking notes, then fill in the blank naming your Jordan. Now let's begin by making sure that everyone knows where the original Jordan River was located. If you've ever got to that part of the Bible at the very end that uh, in most Bibles it's called the maps, okay? Possibly you've seen some different colored maps of, of some of these geographic locations we read about in the Bible. And one of them shows the location of the Jordan River. It's a river that divides to this day the country of Israel and Jordan. In fact, 
I don't know if you knew this, but Jordan used to be called Transjordan, which means across Jordan. Okay, and that's, it was across Jordan from Israel. Now, as one Bible commentator pointed out, uh, and by the way, on the map here, you can see uh, at the very top off the map is actually the Sea of Galilee, okay? It didn't quite make the map. It's right above Israel. Uh, and even above the Sea of Galilee is uh, a national park of Israel called Banyas. And that's really where uh, off the Banyas River, uh, the, the Jordan River forms. In fact, when I had the opportunity to go to Israel, I got to go up into that area and you, we got to see the, the, the waterfall off the mountain where the Jordan River begins. And that was really, really cool in that national park. And then it flows through the Sea of Galilee, and then it goes all the way down to the Dead Sea. I don't know if you've ever heard this illustration or not, but one of the reasons why the Dead Sea is called the Dead Sea is because it has water feeding into it from the Jordan River, but the Dead Sea doesn't give water to any other source. And so because of it, it just kind of pulls up in the Dead Sea, and, and it is dead. It, it's, it's real salty. In fact, I had the opportunity to float in the Dead Sea. You can't help but float. It's so buoyant that, you know, you, you can't hardly stand up. It just kind of kicks you up, and that was kind of fun to, to float in the Dead Sea. But, but the truth of it is it's that way because it doesn't contribute to any other body of water, which is kind of a lesson in life that if you're always a, a taker and not a giver, you'll end up stagnant, dead. And that's what happened to the Dead Sea. But anyways, the Jordan River there divides uh, those two countries, Israel and Jordan. And uh, as one Bible commentator pointed out, for Israel, the Jordan River represents more than simply a physical barrier. It symbolizes a true frontier, the end of a wilderness, and the beginning of the land of settlement. After wandering for a generation in dusty desert, it's ironic that the final barrier to entering the land of promise is liquid in nature. So Israel had left Egypt. They'd traveled through the wilderness, and then... They're at, the, they're at the Jordan River. In fact, this is the second time they've come to the Jordan River. We'll talk about the first time in a minute. But to enter the promised land, they've got to cross the Jordan River. Now, let's read the events leading up to this historic crossing as we begin reading in Joshua chapter 3 in verse 1. Early the next morning, Joshua And all the Israelites left Acacia Grove and arrived at the banks of the Jordan River where they camped before crossing. Three days later, the Israelite officers went through the camp giving these instructions to the people. When you see the Levitical priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant, you might want to underline that. We're going to come back to this in a minute. When, when you see the Levitical priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, move out from your positions and follow them. Since you've never traveled this way before, they will guide you. Stay about a half a mile behind them, keeping a clear distance between you and the Ark. Make sure you don't come any closer. 
What do you see here as we read about this really momentous time in Israel's history as they're on the banks of the Jordan River ready to cross into the promised land? We see the people of Israel preparing to cross. Now, they're making plans to enter a new way of life that involves, as, as it's worded there, traveling where they have never gone before. You sense as you read this passage that there's an excitement, there's, there's an electricity in the air as they're all gathered on the water's edge looking forward to what life will be like in the future. Now, there's some important historic elements for us to take to heart as we read this passage. You see, this wasn't the first time that the people of Israel had got to the Jordan River banks. In fact, 40 years earlier, when Joshua was a much younger assistant of of his predecessor, Moses, and yet at that time, Israel didn't have the faith to cross the Jordan River. In fact, as we talk about Moses and as we talk about how he was bringing up this apprentice Joshua, I thought it might be good to mention, you might have noticed in your bulletin, but we've got a young man that's working here, has been working for some time, uh, part-time with the church, Eric Kraft, our junior high minister, and Eric's going to be ordained into ministry this coming weekend. And if any of you want to be a part of his ordination, uh, you're welcome to come on Friday evening, and you can see the details in that in the bulletin. So it's fun. It's good to see more and more young people rising up to that challenge of going in to full-time Christian ministry. And here we see that Moses had prepared Joshua, but, but back in that day, you see, uh, Moses had tried to prepare the people to cross the Jordan, and he had sent Uh, If you go back and you can read about this in Numbers, which, by the way, as a former math teacher, is one of my favorite books of the Bible. But anyways, in Numbers 13 and 14, it's a fascinating uh, read as we see that Moses uh, has 12 spies, one from each tribe, and he sends them into the land to spy out what the land's going to be like on the other side of the Jordan. Joshua was one of those 12 guys. 12 spies. Caleb was another. We're going to learn more about Caleb later in this series. But when Joshua and Caleb came back from scouting the promised land on the other side of the Jordan, they came back to Moses and, and they said, listen, the land is rich. It's, it's truly a land flowing with milk and honey. And yes, we can do it. We can certainly do it. The problem was the other 10 spies came back with negative reports. And they said, oh, yeah, the land is, the land is great, but, but the people that live there are giants, and, and we can't take the land. And unfortunately, the ten spies that were negative uh, won the day. And the people of Israel shrunk back from this great opportunity uh, to enter the promised land, and as a result, they had to wander in the wilderness for another 40 years. What are some parallels for our life? Unfortunately, some of us have been wandering the land of sin, fear, and mediocrity for too long. And we need to resolve that we won't be like Israel was 40 years earlier 
when they didn't have the faith to take a step that God was prompting them to take. Instead of following their example, let's embrace the attitude of Joshua and Caleb that that when the Lord presents an opportunity to us, that we have that can-do attitude that we say, yes, we can certainly do it with the Lord's help. Now, here's what's fascinating about this whole narrative. If we examine the geographical description of the actual Jordan River as it is in its present, what we learn is that for much of the year, the Jordan River is only about 10 feet across, and it's only about two or three feet deep. Now, honestly, I'd read about the Jordan River all my life and heard about it and heard songs about the Jordan River. And when I finally had the opportunity to go to Israel, I have to be honest, I I got a chance to stand in the Jordan River. It was great. But I was a little bit disappointed because I was expecting this big river and it really wasn't that big. And yet, on the other hand, even though it wasn't that big physically most of the year, For Israel, it had become a huge barrier. In many ways, it's still to this day a huge barrier in the Middle East. You hear terms in the news like the West Bank. That's the West Bank of the Jordan River. It still serves as a political barrier today. But it was a huge barrier for Israel back in that day. You see, sometimes I think we read these stories and we think about Israel maybe being a couple hundred people or a thousand people. But if you go back and read the numbers, the census, it was, it was about two to two and a half million people. It was a big deal for them to all cross this Jordan River. So as we talk about crossing Jordans this week, Can you name a Jordan in your life that you need to cross? On one hand, it might seem like a huge barrier to you. On the other hand, maybe someone else looking at it from the outside would say, well, it's not really that big of a deal, but it's a big deal for you. I tried to think of what some examples might be of crossing Jordans in our life. Possibly for some, it's taking that one more college class or that one more semester to secure that degree. Possibly for some, it's taking that certification exam that's been very intimidating to us at work to further our career. Possibly for some of us, it's just having that conversation with our boss at work about taking on new responsibility or, or transferring into a new arena in our work life, possibly for some in our, our relational life, it's, it's maybe us making that call, seeking counseling for our marriage or for our family, possibly for some others that you're struggling with a, a particular habit or addiction in your life. It's taking that first step of maybe attending a 12-step recovery meeting. Maybe for others, it's just possibly setting your alarm 15 minutes earlier every day so that you can begin the day with a personal devotional time with God and really begin your day depending on the Lord. I'm not sure what the Jordan River is in your life, but my hunch is that everybody here has something, some barrier, whether big or small, 
that's standing in the way of us living that victorious life that God longs for us to live, whether it's in our personal life, whether it's in our relational life or our career life. And the question is, will we be willing to take the steps to cross the Jordans in our life so that we can experience victory? Can you name that Jordan in your life? Well, let's keep reading because next we see that the Lord is working through Joshua to help the people begin anticipating great wonders. In verse 5, it says, Then Joshua told the people, Purify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do great wonders among you. I love that. Tomorrow the Lord will do great wonders among you. In the morning, Joshua said to the priests, lift up the Ark of the Covenant and lead the people across the river. And so they started out and went ahead of the people. The Lord told Joshua, today I will begin to make you a great leader in the eyes of all Israelites. They will know that I am with you just as I was with Moses. What do you see here? I see part of the preparation is for the people of Israel to make sure that they were consecrated or purified, that they were ready for action. And it begins with them truly being able to envision a new and different life on the other side of the Jordan. One of the things that I'm learning in one of the small groups that I'm a part of, we we started a new Thursday night small group called Restore or uh, Recovery Group. And, and I'm participating in that group. And what, one thing we're learning in that group is that for us to experience real life transformation, or in other words, real life lasting change, it first begins with contemplation. In fact, it even begins with pre-contemplation, recognizing that we need to make a change. And then contemplation is beginning to envision that that change can become a reality, that that victory that we long for can become true. And then we enter into preparation before we ever take action. You see, that's true in our own personal lives. It's true here within Joshua's leadership. He's helping the people contemplate what the Lord is going to do in the future in a powerful way. And that that's the beginning of the process to begin to imagine, to begin to envision the great wonders that the Lord is going to do. If you think back to Jesus' ministry, you see he did that as well. I can think of at least one occasion when Jesus was ready to heal somebody and it was somebody that had been sick and, and, and lame for some time. And, and, and Jesus asked them, do you want to get well? Now, on, on first glance, that seems like a silly question to ask somebody that longs for healing. But I think what Jesus was doing, is, first of all, he was challenging this person, do you really want to get well? And he was calling them to have faith that they could be well. I think the truth of it is some of us haven't crossed the Jordans in our life because even though maybe we would describe our current situation as miserable, the truth of it is we know that miserable condition. It's comfortable to us. And there's, there's that fear of the unknown when we cross the Jordan 
even if it looks better than the miserable condition that maybe we're experiencing right now, it takes faith to say, I'm going to venture into the unknown. Maybe you've held back from taking steps to cross the Jordan in your life because you've been content just to stay with the comfortable, even if it's miserable. Maybe God's prompting you by faith to take a step. You know, for others, it begins by just believing that if you cross the Jordan, it's actually going to be better. That we can experience a victorious life. You see, that's where faith enters in. Scripture says faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Do you have the faith to begin to contemplate, to begin to anticipate that God has something in store for you that's better than what's in the present? You see, you have to have that faith before you're willing to take a step across the Jordan. Thirdly, we see that fundamental in Joshua's victorious leadership was him reminding the people to keep focusing on God. We see this emphasis as we keep reading Joshua chapter 3, verse 8. You might have heard mentioned earlier the Ark of the Covenant. Let's read more about that. In verse 8, give this command to the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant. When you reach the banks of the Jordan River, take a few steps into the river and stop there. So Joshua told the Israelites, come and listen to what the Lord your God says. Today you will know that the living God is among you. He will surely drive out the Canaanites, the Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites. By the way, I've always been tempted just to insert termites and see if anybody noticed. Amorites and Jebusites ahead of you. Look, the Ark of the Covenant, which belongs to the Lord of the whole earth, will lead you across the Jordan River. Now choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. The priests will carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth. As soon as their feet touch the water, the flow of the water will cut off upstream and the river will stand up like a wall. What do you see as a focus in God's plan for victory and Joshua's preparation to lead the people to victory? We see at least nine times, I counted nine times in this one chapter, that the Ark of the Covenant is mentioned. Now, some of you, maybe that are new to the Bible, you don't know much about the Ark of the Covenant. If you're a little bit older, maybe all you know is that it's lost and that Indiana Jones is trying to find it. And yet, if you go back and read the biblical description of the Ark of the Covenant, you find that the Ark of the Covenant was actually just a box. It was a box that was about two and a half feet by two and a half feet by four feet. And it contained three things. By the way, this is the artist, an artist's rendering of, of some Israelites carrying the Ark of the Covenant. So you can see it was just a box, okay, with this cherubim up on top. But inside the box, there were three important items, okay? There was, I don't know if you know what was inside the Ark, but inside the Ark of the Covenant 
was the, the stone tablets that the Ten Commandments were originally scri- inscribed on, okay? So they're, that's pretty cool. They're inside the Ark of the Covenant. Also inside the Ark of the Covenant is a staff that belonged to Aaron, Moses' brother. And there's a miraculous story about that that you can go back and read in Scripture about that demonstrated God's plan of leadership for his people. And then also there's this jar of manna. And in that manna, that was what God provided for the Israelites for 40 years to sustain them when they were in the wilderness. And so what do you see? You see these three items inside the Ark of the Covenant reminds people of God's law, God's commands, reminds people of God's leadership, and reminds people of God's provision. Joshua tells The people, don't take your eyes off the Ark of the Covenant. Never forget that it is the Lord that's going to provide the victory. Why do you think, back in verse 4, why do you think that he had the people walk a half a mile behind the Ark of the Covenant? If you're reading from a different translation, you might might read 2,000 cubits, but nobody knows what a cubit is. It's about this much. Okay, but anyways... The the truth of it is it's about a half a mile distance there to stay behind the Ark of the Covenant as they're walking toward the Jordan River. Why do you think God had them do that? I think there are two reasons. One is, is to remind them that God is holy and we are not and that there needs to be this healthy distance in our understanding as we worship him. That's part of it, I think. The second part of it is I think it's very practical that that if there were some tall people that got right behind the Ark of the Covenant, short guys like me wouldn't be able to see it, okay? But if it stays out a half a mile out in front, everybody's going to be able to keep their eyes fixed on the Ark of the Covenant, reminding them that the one who's going to bring the victory for them is the Lord. This week, as I was preparing for this message, I came across a psalm that I thought fit very well. In Psalm 46, verse 7, it simply reads, The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob, or the God of Israel, is our fortress. Verse 10, he says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. You see, sometimes when we get so anxious and frenzied thinking about those obstacles in our life, those Jordan rivers, we need to simply take to heart what Scripture says here is to allow ourselves to be quiet and still and remember that our victory doesn't lie within our strength or our ingenuity, but our victory lies with the Lord and surrendering to his leadership in our life. You see, the Lord Almighty is the true source of victory. But it's tough to stand still, isn't it? And wait on God's deliverance, to wait on God's victory. When our history and even our circumstances in the present tell us that defeat is more likely than victory, and yet that's where faith enters in. And we see that here vividly in this story as Israel crosses the Jordan River for our last observation this morning is that they're called to take steps at flood stage. 
We find them taking steps into the Jordan River at flood stage. Let's keep reading in verse 14. It says, So the people left their camp to cross the Jordan, and the priests who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. It was the harvest season, and the Jordan was overflowing its banks. But as soon as the feet of the priests who were carrying the Ark carrying the ark, touched the water at the river's edge. The water above that point began backing up a great distance away at a town called Adam, which is near Zarethan. And the water below that point flowed onto the Dead Sea until the riverbed was dry. Then all the people crossed over near the town of Jericho. Meanwhile, the priests who were carrying the ark of the Lord's covenant stood on dry ground in the middle of the riverbed as the people passed by, they waited there until the whole nation of Israel, two and a half million people, can you picture it? Until the whole nation had crossed the Jordan on giant gown. What do we find here? We find that at this point, when, when they're, they're ready to cross the Jordan River, the circumstances, we find that it's at flood stage. See, it's not the normal width that it was. It's not the normal depth. We find that at this point, it's even more imposing of a barrier because it's at flood stage. In my reading, I read one historic report that was written around the year 1900 when travelers described the Jordan River not as 10 feet across, but as 90 to 100 feet across during flood stage. And the depth varied from 3 feet to 10 to 12 feet. Now, this has become even a bigger obstacle for 2.5 million people to cross. Wouldn't you know that when the people of Israel are finally ready to cross the Jordans, it's at flood stage. My hunch is there were some naysayers among them that said, no, the time's not right. We can't do it. But Joshua said, no, we can do it with the Lord's help. In fact, I think Joshua just says, now the stage is set for us to really see a miracle, a victory coming from the Lord. I don't know about you, but I'm impressed with the faith of Joshua. I'm impressed with the faith of these Jewish priests that are carrying the Ark of the Covenant because, you know, I I don't think they just kind of went to the water's edge and tipped their toe in. I think they took a bold step. And when they took that bold step to cross the Jordan, what did God do? He parted the river so that they could cross in dry ground. I think God's still ready to part the rivers in our lives if we'll just have the courage to take a step of faith. Seven years ago, my personal Jordan, and I believe our Jordan River as a church, was to build phase one of this building. In 2010, we had been renting as a church since 1997. And when 2010 rolled around, we'd been renting for 11 years and meeting within the YMCA next door. In many ways, it seemed like at that point in our history as a church, we'd lost some momentum. And honestly, some were beginning to wonder if we would ever cross the Jordan and have a building of our own. At that time, if you remember, 2008 to 2010 was a tough time to try to get a loan. We had sought loans from banks all over the area, and we got turned down and rejected time after time after time. 
We even had some people begin to leave the church saying, in fact, they were tired of setting up and breaking down chairs. And they said, you're never going to build. I had people leave the church saying, you're never going to build. And yet I believe that God had a plan for us as a church. Finally, in 2010, we found Church Development Fund in California, and they believed in us, and they said, we'll write you a loan. Here's the commitment that you need to make. I'll never forget the leadership team meeting that we had to discuss making that final step. Now, don't get me wrong. We had been financially responsible up to that point. We had done our due diligence, turned on all of our paperwork to church development fund and all the other banks we'd sought a loan from. And we'd been responsible through the years to operate in the black and to be, uh, be wise in the spending of our money. And we had that record. But, but the month leading up to us signing that loan with church development fund to move into phase one of this building was a tough month financially. Offerings hadn't been what they'd been in the past, and some expenses had been up. And I'll never forget that meeting. We got a report from our finance chairperson, Jamie, and and Jamie shared with us how that by the time the end of the week was over and we paid all of our bills and made payroll, that in our general account, now we had a separate account for the building fund, but for our general account, we were going to, at the end of the week, have 67 cents left in the bank. And we were at a meeting discussing signing a loan for a million dollars. And we said at that point, let's not tell the church how much we got in the general account. But I thought it's safe to tell you now, okay? But it was real clear to me that was a Jordan River moment for us. It was flood stage. And were we going to take a step of faith? We did. And I believe God's part of the waters. Not only did we move into phase one, we've now added phase two. We've made every payment on the mortgage one way or another. And God has provided. And we're the best place financially we've ever been. But there was that moment we had to take a step at the flood stage. How about you? Is God prompting you to take a step across the Jordan? Do you have the courage Do you have the faith that God will provide the victory? What's your Jordan River? Can you envision victory across it? And are you willing to keep your eyes on the Lord every step of the way? They were to keep their eyes on the Ark of the Covenant. It obtained three, it contained three objects to remind them of God's law, leadership, and provision. The Lord has given us two objects in communion to remind us that victory is found only in him. The son of God came to earth and he became the bread of life. We take pieces of bread to remind us that Jesus is real and that he came to demonstrate God's presence in our life. And the cup of juice remind us of the sacrificial love of Jesus and the victory that he won over sin and death at the cross and his resurrection. As we take communion today, let's allow these two small objects that we hold in our hands and that we participate with remind us that the victory is only found in the Lord.
Let's keep our eyes fixed on him as we cross the Jordans of our life. Let's pray together. Dear God, thank you. Thank you that in your wisdom you left this simple, the simple meal, the simple observance for us to be reminded to keep our eyes fixed on you. Help us as we begin this week and as we see steps of faith that we all need to take. Help us, Father, keep our eyes on the one we're following, your son, Jesus. And as we take the bread and as we take the cup today, remind us that victory is only found in him. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to Southwest Church Teaching Ministries. We are a community of people committed to following Jesus and making disciples. Please join us for one of our three weekly gatherings, Saturdays at 5.30 p.m., Sundays at 9.30 a.m., and 11.15 a.m.